Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 54th episode of Animalators, curious conversations from the world of animation. Today on the show, we have Tuna Bora, a director based in LA. Tuna has worked with an incredible list of clients and studios, including Elastic, Buck, Nike, Nickelodeon, just to name a few. She also won an Annie for her fantastic work in production design on the Google Spotlight story, Pearl, directed by former guest of the show, Patrick Osborne. Tuna also recently signed on as a director at Nexus. Today on the show, we'll talk about making career transitions, what to do when you think you might not be right for a job, And we'll talk about the struggles surrounding the pull towards finding your personal identity in your work. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animalators. Tuna, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so we've we've got a ton to get into, but I, I'd like to start right now. You you just signed um, with Nexus. Could you tell us just a little bit about Nexus and itself, and also what you're doing there? Uh, sure. I should explain maybe to American audiences who don't work in the UK that Nexus is this really awesome little animation. Not little. <laughs> uh, they're <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they're kind of huge. Um, they're a wonderful animation studio in the UK and they represent directors, which is a little bit different than um, American chefs, I think, in structure. However, they are a production house. So uh, I know them through a, a bunch of jobs that I admire, a bunch of directors. Johnny Kelly's with them, Nicholas Menard is it's crazy. Um, and they did me the uh, honor of letting me hang out with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, now, now we're working with them. I'm working on a project with them as a director, essentially. That's very exciting. Um, so I've been following your work for for a while, and it is. I mean, for the most part, I, I've seen like lots of art direction and, and illustration. Is this kind of stepping into directing projects uh, somewhat new for you? It is, uh, but managing isn't really new. So there are obviously very, very new aspects of directing uh in comparison to visually designing slash maybe helping out with story but it is a fun challenge so i'm excited for it yeah no, well, could you talk a little bit about some of those challenges and and what that kind of transition has been like uh i think it really depends on the project right now we're doing something interactive and uh there are many challenges including working with an international team in a different shape than we did with google and also writing, you know, officially writing is not, something. <laughs> you know, I, I'm really lucky. I have a great team and I'm working with an excellent writer, but also, you know, often in commercials, you get a, get a brief and then you have something to play off of. And even if you have to recreate it and sort of restructure it, there is a kind of clear formula as to what you need to do to sell a product or uh, heighten the excitement of a product. And I think narrative is very different. So it's interesting that you're working with a writer in this sense. I mean, we work in a, in a similar way. Like, I, I feel like I'm just very slow at writing. And so my my business partner actually, so like, we'll get together, talk about a brief of a project. And then like, actually, we'll just kind of talk about some ideas of what we're going to do. And then he'll go away and write the first draft of, of a script. And I know some some directors and creative directors just like to do all the writing themselves. But what what has that experience been like working with a writer? We're still uh, working on the story, actually. It's fun so far. <laughs> yeah. I always enjoy working with another person to, you know, brainstorm with. And because you kind of get a sense of whether what you're saying can be understood by another yeah. human or yeah, not. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I also think people have different strengths to bring into it. I'm more, uh, I'm, I'm interested in what the story communicates and all this you know, it's similar to the visual exploration of a project. What tone does it have? What, how does it communicate with the audience or try to connect with them? Or, you know, what is the, what is the style? But then sometimes there's actual text. And for me to assume that I'm just as good a writer as somebody who's done this professionally for their whole lives is a little bit obnoxious. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I wouldn't say anything like, they don't come in creatively. They just prose it mm, for yeah, me. Yeah. But, you know, working with somebody who's used to that different process essentially is very exciting because it gets you out of your shell. 
you know. Yeah, definitely. So do projects still start in a, in a visual way? Is it kind of a chicken and egg situation as far as like writing a script versus visuals and storyboards? Or um, how, how are you working through that right now? I think it's probably different for everybody. But for me, I think better when I'm when my hand's moving. So even if it's just really basic drawings, there's stuff happening as I draw. And, you know, like I initially sent a treatment for what I'd like to do, then we pitched it. So I designed the project. And then now we're going to an official writing phase and an official design phase. You know how this works, but yeah, yeah. Well, and, and while we're on the subject of, of writing, actually, you mentioned before we started recording that you you're trying to write every day. Uh, so tell me a little bit about that. Oh, that's a super funny thing. So I shouldn't frame it as if I'm writing serious projects every day. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, like, you know, we, we many of us in the industry do an everyday, right? Um, just to, you know, try and get better at something. Is that kind of what you're doing with writing? Less that, actually, and more of a, a creative process thing. I, I'm sure a lot of the people listening are familiar with that book, The Artist's Way. I tried that out a few years ago and I did the whole course and it makes you, yeah, it makes you do three pages of writing in the morning and you don't have to write about anything specific, but just writing in general kind of lets you process different things. And in the context of the book, it gives you a new theme to focus on every week and asks you certain questions so you can question your values around those certain things or beliefs. Uh, Do you know this book or? I've heard of it. I've never talked this in depth about it before though. You know, it can seem a little self-helpy, <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> but uh, it's actually quite, you know, if you open your mind to it, I think you can get quite a bit out of it. Uh, and, and it has different themes for weeks. Like one week it talks about money and another week it talks about spirituality. That one was hard for me because I, you know, I'm not a spiritual person, essentially. You know, I would ask you questions such as, uh, is it really true that you can't make a living off of it maybe or so forth? If you're telling yourself, I couldn't do what I wanted to do and have a good living. It's, you know, well, me questioning some of those things are useful. Then you go write your pages in the morning and perhaps you're still thinking about them, but I kept that. So on and off uh, a little less um, consistently than the visual dailies I do. I write every morning and it's actually become a, big tool for me to process my current state be it in sort of the process of a project oh how am I going to solve this problem sometimes these unexpected solutions occur uh, not dissimilar to when you're dreaming and you get a solution for a project you've been thinking about but couldn't crack and every once in a while it's also dealing with the emotional stress of something perhaps managing other people or not knowing what you want to do with your career. Uh, a lot of us don't voice those concerns with other people because maybe we're worried we're not going to be understood or it feels like a burden or, you know, there's this feeling of only really heart-to-heart conversations can include your insecurities. But if you're having that conversation with yourself daily, I think there's something very cathartic about that. It, it really frees me to say, hey, I know this is all you know, this hypothetical thing I'm building in my mind as to why it's not going to work out or uh, what challenges I might uh, actually face if I do it this way. It sort of evaporates once I write them and they say, but, you know, yeah, this is one option, but also none of this could, like, maybe it will just happen tomorrow, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it will just fall into place because A, B, C, D, E, and then it's really easy for me to start my day after that. (laughs) It sounds very therapeutic, and it also seems helpful in the sense that like creating artistic work is very personal and like it, I don't know. And and making sure that like you have that kind of proper mindset, I think can be really helpful. I was reading an an interview you did a little while ago and and you said, I'll just quote you for a second. My, my struggle, like many of my friends has been um, one of trying to grasp my identity from within and outside of the work I create. And, And it sounds like some of that might be tying into, to this as well. Like just trying to like kind of realign uh, in that sense. Uh, definitely. Although like hearing myself talk is so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think part of it is for those of us who are just obsessed with what we do. And I'm definitely one of those people. Like you think you're just trying and then you look and you realize you've been working crazy long days and hopefully you have a life outside of it. But also 
compared to some of my friends now, I really clearly see that making stuff and wanting to make stuff, I willingly put a lot of love and energy and time into it. So it is kind of easy to forget that your value as a person, your, you know, the, the, maybe the validation you need from the world, it's really easy to equate it to the work and its success. And I think it really serves as a disadvantage when you can't see who you are uh, outside of that. Well, totally. And, and I feel like it only gets harder the more, I don't know, the more recognition that you get. You know, if you, let's say, you know, get nominated for an Oscar or something, or, you know, I imagine that, that rift and that separation, it makes it even harder to just be like, um, I don't know, kind of putting all of your self-worth and identity into that because you know, you're getting that validation, which is great. But then if you're having a bad day and, you know, the work isn't turning out as well as um, you maybe had hoped, it, it can kind of put you in a rough spot. I've seen that happen both ways. And I think maybe you're right, like when you get a lot of recognition. I haven't been personally nominated for an Oscar, so I can't answer that question. But, okay, well, um, work that you But know. I would say perhaps if you have a bad balance there emotionally, it heightens it. If you, if you, yeah, if you believe that your value is because you are nominated for something or you won something, then it might make you more insecure with your next thing. However, I think it's just there regardless of how big the project is. And you do, your success does still depend on can you see yourself outside of what you do and, and your own values and your own worth and your own capabilities. How much trust do you have in yourself outside of the one thing you're getting paid for? And uh, I actually do talk about this sometimes where the issue of payment is one of great distress for most artists when somebody asks to say hire you for cheaper it can feel like an insult because you've put in a lot of work to get that rate and obviously you're worth it uh, hopefully you're worth it and it can feel like an attack because it makes you often you know it seems like they're questioning your worth your value as a person even though that's not really it's just a business transaction <laughs> so yeah. you know in so many ways these stray emotions can kind of be contagious even. I think the insecurity, especially if you're managing a team, can become really contagious. And then you kind of affect everybody under you with whatever. I don't want to say under, that's terrible. If anybody who's collaborating with you, you kind of give them the same sense of like, you better not make me feel invaluable here. Those questions are always in my mind because I like collaborating with people. And um yeah, just kind of seeing yourself outside of how successful your art is, is I think a healthy thing. <laughs> so let's talk about collaboration a bit. Um, cause that has been, you know, something that you've done, I don't know, throughout, throughout your whole career, um, with some, even some other people that we've had on the show, Patrick Osborne, you worked with him at, uh, on the Google project and some other things I understand, right? Actually, the only thing we've officially worked on together is Pearl. Oh, but, okay. uh, yeah, I have a project I'm working on right now, which he's helping me with. And uh, Oh, nice. Yeah, if, if we start that, he wants to be involved, and I very much want to keep him involved, too. So Yeah, very cool. So, like, what would you say that have been some kind of successful, um, I don't know, like, just strategies for collaboration and, and just some of the ways that um, you think working with a team um, has either helped you over the years or or just some ways to make that process go well, because sometimes that can be a little bit tricky, uh, especially when you have a lot of people with you know very passionate opinions, as most artists do. <laughs> the funniest thing about all that is kind of seeing how your passions were uh, affecting other people. <laughs> like when you when you start collaborating with people, and if you are uh, the catalyst for the project, or if you are uh, you know asked to lead perhaps people in any way uh, you start realizing how your behavior from when you were younger can seem <laughs> you just didn't know it's always like this uh delayed shame for me because i'm very excited about everything and uh i think sometimes it's easy to uh in my early years i would i would shamefully admit that i was probably too excited to make it good and then so I would try to push in ideas that I thought were necessary for instance and uh, that's not really I mean the excitement part is great but then under understanding that you're serving a particular point of view even if you know it's a collaborative project is sometimes good 
And on the flip side of that, I think if you are collaborating with other people, you can't be this person who's just hard lines on everything and saying whatever you say goes. I honestly think more so than even bad juju in the project amongst people, <laughs> like how to piss people off, right? Even more so than that, it just makes for a bad collaboration. It kind of assumes that you know everything and nobody else has anything to offer. And that's not really a collaboration. It's just manipulating people to work for you. And I think there's a really fine balance between those things. Yeah, definitely. I'm working on something with uh, Jonathan Kondo. I don't know if you know him. He's an animator. Yes, we, we've never met, but... We should share his link because he's maybe one of my favorite animators yeah. ever. And uh, I don't know how this happened, but he decided that he would collaborate with me. <laughs> That's awesome. So um, we're working on something together. And, you know, I think it's just giving room for the other person to breathe. And also, it might be your idea, but they can bring something to it that makes it a little bit more rounded and you start seeing how, you know, there's multiple ways of saying the same thing and you have to pick whatever's better for the project and not necessarily the little ideas that you're too attached to. If something doesn't work out, uh, work well, you have to let it go, uh, which is a weird life lesson, right? Like you have to learn that about life in general. <laughs> Uh, you'll love people and you'll have to let them go and you'll love apartments and you'll have to let them go. It's just, you know, like sometimes you have to make room for a better thing to come. And if you're not willing to let go of things that don't work, it causes a lot of distress and perhaps uh, some mistakes, which mistakes are okay, but you need to learn from them. So let's jump back in time a little bit. I, I understand you you grew up in Turkey and then moved to L.A. Um, to go to school. Could you tell me a little bit about that that time and that transition period? Uh, honestly, it was really exciting, and I was probably too young to completely process how much my world was changing. Uh, I grew up in Istanbul. Then I moved to a different city in high school, and I lived alone. So I had kind of like a pre-college experience in high school. And then I moved to L.A. for Otis, and I studied under the digital media department, which was a little bit of everything. It was a potpourri of <laughs> things you might use or not. And then I, yeah, then I stayed in L.A. and continued the career here, which was wonderful. What was your kind of thought moving to L.A. like career-wise? Did you always have uh, animation in mind? I actually... At first, couldn't decide between fashion and animation. They were two oh, things wow. that I was deeply... Yeah, I did an internship in high school with Bahar Korchan. She's a designer in Turkey. And after the summer internship was done, uh, she was actually really excellent and very creative. But I kind of... If I had to pick between sort of the animation industry and how fashion works, because fashion is super retail-oriented, and I think success in fashion can... You know, you can be the Forever 21 kind of successful, which then there's sweatshop kind of situations that are extremely problematic. You know, it's not that necessarily everybody wants to utilize them, but they find a way to seep back into your production line. It's a little bit, yeah, if you want to be very accessible, it's complicated. And even then, at, at that price range, you could argue, is it really accessible to people? And then uh, if you succeed and become kind of a concept fashion designer, an artist, essentially, then you're making things for not people to wear or uh, things that most people will never be able to afford to buy. And it kind of perpetuates this, it's good because you can't have it kind of attitude. And I started really questioning <laughs> my interest in devoting my life to that. <laughs> yeah, so, that's interesting. Yeah, I, I had a really wonderful time with her. Um, she taught me to experiment with fabrics and paint and all this other stuff. And she's a poet too. And Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, she's, she's really incredible. I had the best internship I could have, and then I said, maybe I'm going to do animation. So <laughs> uh, now there's actually kind of a pretty reliable animation industry in Turkey and commercials uh, particularly. But I kind of wanted to do more and more narrative stuff and figured that it was going to be harder for me to learn those skills from experienced people in Turkey as opposed to uh, in LA perhaps. <laughs> So do you ever feel that pull back to fashion at all? Or is that something that you, you keep up with? You know, in a utilitarian way, perhaps, yes. Uh, personal interest, okay. yes. 
there are a lot of people I'm really inspired by, uh, both in their creative process and perhaps in uh, their storytelling. You have, I hate that word, by the way, sorry, pulling it back, <laughs> pulling it back. Just their conceptual way of uh, bringing complicated ideas to a visual form. So you have someone yeah. like Hussein Chalayan, who's uh, like, I think half Turkish, maybe. He, he was born and raised in England. And he has this really incredible collection, which I constantly, like for 20 years, I've been referencing it. And it was about, um, you know, forced migration and being a refugee. And he has this table that folds back into a skirt, basically. It's a super strange concept. And he has a number of things in that collection. It's basically not wearable art, but it is uh, art. <laughs> so, um, What was the name again? I missed that. Hussein Chalian is the name of the designer. I'll okay. send you a link to Perfect. Uh, the collection that I'm speaking of, which we can share with everybody. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. Because I, I really want to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's always done really interesting stuff. It's not just that project. <laughs> but yeah, I, essentially, I think animation is quite accessible. And finding that in Turkey was hard when I was growing up. But it really helped me find myself in a way. Uh, just that it could be so different. Like what you create can be so different. The values could be so different. You can draw anything, obviously. And I wouldn't call animation an easy form of art by any means. But yeah, it's just, uh, it showed me maybe at that age that there was a place I could belong and perhaps I chased that feeling a lot. Uh, yeah, so. So where did you find your love for drawing? Uh, my parents are both artists. I have a cheat answer here. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, there are two different types of artists. My dad's an architect and my mom is kind of a more organic uh, artist. So she has had a very successful accessory line for over three decades, but she, she's always, she's, she's amazing. Um, and the most interesting person you'll meet, you know, she's all my friends know she's cooler than I am. <laughs> let's just, let's just put it that way. Uh, just very curious about the world. And um, when I was growing up, she illustrated children's books and before, way before I was born, she did an animated film and, you know, she studied. Wow. Yeah, she did a lot of stuff. So it's just easy to pick up a pencil around her, <laughs> I'd say. No, I mean, did they do anything, um, I don't know, to kind of like help encourage that? Or is it just more of just seeing like, oh, you know, mom and dad are artistic. They, they make things. They didn't force it, that's for sure. But they were always very encouraging, but equally encouraging of my brother's programming career. So it's hard to kind of pull it out of context here. But I was told by my dad, don't go into architecture. Just don't do it. <laughs> yeah, really? he was like, don't take over. The, like, um, well, it's a very demanding. It's a physically and mentally very demanding job, I think, especially in Turkey as a market. Oh, I see. Mm -hmm. And he was like, feel no obligation to do this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, some people would say that animation is, is fairly demanding as well. Absolutely. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... The demand from you is different, you know. Um, dealing with contractors is, is perhaps a, a, a quality of both industries. <laughs> but, you know, he would work really late hours. Um, you're working with people who are physically putting their work into what you're building. You know, the survival aspect of it is, I think, a little bit more tangible, and not to say, you know, of course, uh, animators working crazy long hours and stuff. I, I, you know, on that, I don't see a distinction. It's just in one, maybe the pay is a little bit different. Maybe this is a Turkey versus world thing too. And, uh, you know, you're covered in cement dust and you're walking through. I grew up hanging out with my dad on construction sites and there were no top hats and there were no rails on half-built of stairs like this is, oh, wow. yeah so yeah. I, you know it's not don't worry it wasn't negligence but sure yeah yeah obviously um yeah he, he was basically saying you know maybe if you want to be behind the desk i don't mind it is what it was saying basically so so tell me a little bit about um you're you're leaving school and what was your mindset at that point were you trying to get an internship a job uh freelance um i had already freelanced in motion graphics uh and I say motion graphics, but it was the most incredible company. Three of our 
alumni from the year I first entered college uh, had started a company called Three Legged Legs, which oh yeah, you know them yeah yeah you you know Greg because Greg has been on the podcast right mm-hmm. yep 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 yeah they they entertained me by letting me design for them uh, <laughs> on these uh, projects that they had one summer and it was my first real job you know and um, I I liked doing all of that and I graduated in the middle of the crisis the economic crisis uh, in wonderful perfect time. I know, it's, you know, no pressure. All you need is to find a stable job and get a visa. Don't worry about it. You know? <laughs> oh, but I was, I was, I was obsessed. I, I, I was like, I'm going to do this. You know, I failure is not an option. I, I have to give this everything. And if it doesn't work out, then I will have zero regrets. So that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, and I would say that I abused myself quite a bit. <laughs> like I wouldn't sleep. I would definitely spread myself too thin and, it wasn't healthy, but I don't regret it. <laughs> and I really wanted to work in narrative animation as opposed to having a career in motion graphics at that time. So, you know, I was talking to all these big companies for the internships and such. And that year they like, they started a hiring freeze. And that actually, actually in the upcoming years, they let go of a lot of people especially in the illustration visual development department that, that I wanted to get into. So I spent the first year kind of doing odd projects. Uh, and I say odd, but, you know, I, I've always been uh, very lucky. That's how I see it. And uh, I was given really great opportunities. I think the first project after graduation I had was with Angus Wall at Rock, Paper, Scissors, oh, uh, wow. slash Elastic. Yeah. yeah. It just kind of happened to come my way and, uh, I was like, what? <laughs> Excuse That's me? That's incredible. Were you nervous? I was, <laughs> but I didn't know exactly what I was nervous about. You know, I don't know if it was him, which he is a very gentle person. <laughs> He's uh, very nurturing. So my interactions with him were not scary, but it's also, you know, it's your first job after graduation. Yeah. You're like, how do I do any of this? So there was definitely some nervousness, uh, all around i just don't know what to attribute it to (laughs) it was this crazy avatar coke job i think we pitched on and you know the first job i had was in a flame bay no windows and our our producer's name was watermarked onto every image and the they sent us the concept book basically and they were very secretive about not revealing the avatar designs (laughs) so we got a 400 page book and somebody meticulously (laughs) made sure that her name was watermarked on every single image. And we were like, you know that we can Photoshop these out, right? <laughs> we were yeah. like, do we Photoshop them out uh, for the style frames? Because we're worried that it's going to upset them, you know? So That's incredible. Sort of. Yeah, I was nervous because I didn't know what the client was going to say. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> um But yeah, yeah. So I, I did a lot of motion graphic stuff, which I actually came to love. But um, it was a surprise for me. So at what point did you start working at Sony then? Towards the end of the first year, essentially, the, I graduated and then at the end of spring. Next spring, I started working at Sony on a, a feature as a visitor artist, which is, uh, again, I think a lot of people were gracious and, and they recommended me and I'm eternally grateful. And uh, then I did that. <laughs> I was like, nope. <laughs> really? So, like, why? I mean, you had mentioned that before. Why Why didn't you enjoy VizDev? Because I feel like that's, you had said that that's kind of what you were hoping to do. It's just one of those insane things where um, you realize what you project onto something and what it really is are not completely matched. And, uh, you know, I had, I think, somewhat reasonable expectations as to what kind of work I'd be doing but I had really unreasonable expectations as to how well, well suited I was for that. <laughs> you know? um, it's a lot of really technical work to do this stuff. It can often seem like it's just fun and games and you do these loose paintings and speed paintings are enough. And sometimes you do those. And a lot of the time throughout production, you do really uh, detailed model packs and, surface uh painting basically surfacing uh packs for uh the cg team if you're working on a cg feature and you know depending on the production you're on 
you might be designing something you're not particularly interested in for a really long time. And it may not serve you, your, your strengths may not serve that project really well. So you're kind of in this, I want this, but I don't know if I'm right for it place. Yeah, it was a big lesson for me early in life, I think, to also not delay happiness. <laughs> but it took a moment to digest that. I, I saw it as a failure at the time. It was emotionally challenging to accept that I wasn't right for this thing. Uh, but that denial period was short. So. so for a moment, were you thinking of just kind of leaving the industry altogether or did you see another avenue kind of by industry? Do you mean the motion and animation industry or in feature? Yeah. 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 No, no. I always, I always liked what I was doing and okay, good, good. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I would starve and still do it. That's how I see it. (laughs) Nice. It was going to be okay. One way or another, there were just other complications with visas and stuff. So, you know, you can imagine there's an emotional weight to, I don't know, like a 20, 21 year old trying to figure this out. Um, and you know, the great thing about artists having artistic parents is, yeah, they are very supportive and they're understanding, but also there's just the, your entire universe, I think kind of expects some form of success. Like their, their support also comes like both as very strong support. And at the time, my inability to process this made it process. It made me see of see it as kind of a responsibility. And I took it very seriously, (laughs) So, um, again, it's not their fault, but I think I was being very harsh on myself at that time. And that's a double-edged sword. It can make you create a lot of work and, and find a lot of fuel to kind of have that fire in your belly. But essentially, you will deplete yourself because that's not a really sustainable system to, to hang your entire artistic output on, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. Well, and I feel like it's a bit of a, a recipe to be miserable if you it's stay It's absolutely a recipe to be miserable. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. Um, thankfully, I like what I do. And, you know, I always ask people, like, if they like what they do and they really enjoy it because then you'll find solution, right? Like, then you'll find the right way to see it because you have a reason to. <laughs> no, I mean, and that's, that's I mean, it's always an interesting distinction too it's like of course i enjoy what i'm doing i get to draw and i get to animate but then like there's i th- i don't know i think a, a lot of people can relate i certainly can to like you know putting that amount of pressure on yourself to succeed and and do well and that cannot very much take the joy out of something yeah. that like i would say i enjoy doing um is there anything that you've learned over the years that's kind of helped you break that cycle letting go of things <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm like a broken record right now, but I've been thinking about this a lot lately. You know, we were briefly catching up with you earlier and we talked about what it's like to manage and uh, perhaps even being, you know, wanting to do a lot of different things. I think lately I've been focusing on understanding how you might want to do something, you might be really excited about it. When you hit, when you come across a hiccup and it feels unpleasant, if the entire thing you're going on is that this is just going to be fun, then I think it can be really hard to kind of get back up from that stumble, you know? Uh, And I think it's really worth understanding that in pursuing things that you really, really want, there might be a few things that are unpleasant and sort of understanding that perhaps that's, your edges being ironed out in certain ways or you have something to learn from that is extremely invaluable because you know what I see is a lot of really talented people around me especially in the most motion industry and after working for client work on commercial stuff for a really long time there can be this uh you know I want to do something completely different or I'm going to change my career, but I haven't decided exactly how. And it's this trying to take a really large leap, you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to check out of this altogether or, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of the delaying happiness thing to some extent. And I, I found that, you know, battles are better fought in small battlefields <laughs> than to just like have one 
huge thing. I'm going to win the lottery and it's gonna, then I'm going to be happy. And the odds are if you won the lottery, you'd probably not be very happy. Uh, after the first initial phase passes, uh, you'd be like, but I, I'm still the same me and the same problems exist. And uh, it's, it's actually really random. Two days ago, I read this thing about what happens to lottery winners. Uh, sorry, not lottery, but uh, game show winners. <laughs> They win something like a million dollars and then half of that goes to taxes. And then yep. <laughs> all these, like you'll win a car, but you, you'll only really make like $7,000 out of it, <laughs> even though it's like a brand new car. Cause you have to pay, you have to pay like a sales tax and some other thing. Like it was just this insane thing about how unsatisfying winning a game show can be. And, uh, I was just fascinated by a how weird the world is, but also how do you conquer the things you want to change? Because essentially, it's not about changing the world. It's about how you fit into it and how you function in it and how you process that world, uh, which is essential for artists. Like you take life and you turn it into art, and then you put it out there, and it becomes life again. It it kind of permeates into other people's lives, and it is easy. Also, really right to to understand that you're just uh one little stone falling into the ocean <laughs> like the the ripples are just ripples but they still matter you know well and that takes some of the pressure off too i feel like yeah i i think a lot of us get creatively blocked very easily because we want to be the little pebble that uh creates storms <laughs> maybe sometimes that's possible but no pebble can just say I'm going to be a storm pebble <laughs> and force it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. that's what we're doing all the we time. We do it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I learned that through many lessons, like the things that have changed my life have always been really unexpected things. I often talk about how you have to be open to that because great opportunities pass you by or present themselves to you regularly, but you have to be at a place where you can meet it and you can allow it to, enter into your life i think which some people see as luck and obviously there's a luck factor but it's not just luck i really believe in this <laughs> it sounds new agey but when you see something are you centered in yourself enough and not just out there pursuing something to validate yourself with to see the inherent value in it and know to ask hey what is that or oh this will be interesting like a lot of people I know who have really creative output have this kind of openness to the world. And I think that's a bigger skill to cultivate than, yeah, anything else really. Is there anything that you do to actively cultivate that? I think the writing pages in the morning is a little bit like that. I also kind of try to tear myself away from work as much as possible to go kind of be somewhere without a purpose. I try to do things without a purpose because so much of what I do has even in a small scale, a purpose, you know, if I'm making a drawing, I'm trying to finish this or draw this drawing. Uh, it is different if I draw it with no expectation, what I will uh, create is super different and you can feel it. <laughs> it's the opposite of when you can tell somebody work from a photograph. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I would I go on walks. I I live close to a lake in LA, and I get to go there for free in the mornings, and just maybe bring some coffee with me. Giving myself little tasks where it's just very mundane things to do. Sometimes it's buy, it's just not buying the coffee and making it at home, and then you have these three minutes when you're just looking around. <laughs> And then you take this coffee to this lake and you keep looking around. <laughs> it's, uh, I know these are terrible answers to your questions. But no, no, this is wonderful. So do you, I'm curious, do you let your mind drift um, back to, to art and to the work? Because I feel like sometimes it is hard to like, I, I almost have to be like conscious about not thinking about it. Or do you use those times to inspire your work specifically? Uh, I don't try very hard to come up with anything. But when you empty your mind, the ideas come to you. And it's sort of like meditation, I guess. I'm not chanting or anything. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was watching that Netflix documentary, uh, Wild Wild Country. I can't stop uh, talking about it. <laughs> my wife and I were watching that literally last night. That is some crazy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it actually, I was telling someone else that it got me to 
sort of read about the criticisms on transcendental meditation, which people think is a cult also. And, you know, I'm like, this is fascinating stuff. How, how uh, suggestible are people? <laughs> but through that, somehow I was reading that the, the biggest hell is that you're uh, repeating this mantra and it kind of, oh, you, you, you lose sense of time and ideally you really space out. You disassociate basically from your, from everything, including your worries. So you feel really light. Yeah. Uh, of course, also criticism that this exists. I won't get into it. <laughs> Everybody can do their own TM uh, (laughs) research. But I think just existing, like if you can just exist and not be bothered by that and not be disturbed emotionally by not doing anything, (laughs) it sounds insane, I know, but like I'll watch a bird and I'll feel like I am the bird. Like it makes no sense, but I feel a kinship. (laughs) I've actually been trying to, I was was kind of weirded out about, meditation a little bit um but i've actually been using this app called headspace and it sets a little reminder for me and just just takes like a really short amount of time to just kind of you know just take a second and breathe which i i feel like i need just need that reminder of like uh, and it it guides you through it and i don't know i found it to be actually very helpful so what you were describing just reminded me of that which is why i I don't know i know a lot of people who love that app which is i think it's fantastic if uh, anybody does any more meditation so I'm, I'm super game for all of that I think actually Nexus works with them I'm not sure maybe I'm making this up no I mean their illustrations and animations are fantastic so I wouldn't be surprised I might be imagining it and uh, I think there's a disassociation from like emotions and that part or being too much in your head and I think that's absolutely essential not just for a creative process but to really have a satisfying life like you have to be able to get out of your head because our brains are these analytical thinking machines and i think so much of culture really praises that you get praised for that if you go to school you're praised for that if you want to be taken seriously academically or scientifically and uh i was actually talking to some scientists <laughs> and uh we were talking about how false that can be even though uh you know to really believe in it and then not believe in it at all is, is, is like a weird line this person I know was going through. That skill is supposedly how we're smart. That's how uh, we are resourceful. You know, we definitely praise people who uh, can, like, oh, he saw it coming, you know, that kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of value in that for sure because we live in a structured society. So to understand structure and work with it, absolutely essential But the other thing is we never teach people how to handle their emotions and to understand that built-in system, which basically your emotions are your defense system. It's a built-in defense system that tells you what you need. And we're really used to ignoring that. And, um, you know, too much analytical thinking can make you very anxious. So I find more peace and more clarity when I'm observing nature when I understand that I'm a part of this thing, that I am exactly this thing and not something separate from it. There is this forced isolation into a lot of definitions of what art, art, being an artist is. And it is sort of, you know, there's the world and there's me and even the, there's like a little bit of a fetish of only if it's painful and only if it's hard work, it's meaningful. You know, only if you made sacrifices, it's meaningful. And, I find that to be bogus. <laughs> like the best work comes out if you're having fun and it's easier said than done. But again, I think like being in a team and maybe this is going kind of in a full circle, being in a team and doing really great work, uh, it, it's a lot easier and it's a lot better when, you know, it's, it's an entity altogether. You are a part of this bigger thing. If you feel that you are a part of this bigger thing, you feel happier and maybe coming back to cults, like that's part of that too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're welcome here and everybody loves you here. Um, and, and you fit in and we're all just alike. Like that feeling is great. Maybe going back to even the artist's way, I'll say that part about spirituality was really challenging for me because, you know, it was kind of worded like, even if you don't believe in God, just accept that God is channeling his messages through you. And I was like, I can't do that. It doesn't, I don't like that. And I don't believe in it. So I don't want to, I'm not going to lie to myself, but it kind of came down to, I have to word this in the way that I believe 
uh, is, is realistic. And it came down to all the thoughts I have, the criticisms, the anxieties about the world, um, even if other people can't relate to it, right? Like maybe I'm talking about something related to feminism and somebody else isn't seeing that perspective. They still all happen as a result of me existing in this world. I was born into this world. I'm a woman in this world. It's all this really natural process. This world made you and you are not just the separate thing. You don't just exist behind your eyes, which is like an Alan Watts thing, but you are deeply connected. Uh, everything you're experiencing is because you're a part of this world. So anything, any idea you have that you put down, that you turn into something, is not coming out of nowhere. You're just sort of reshaping uh, or filtering, right? Like what your existence is and then making more existence out of it. And it really works on my creative block when I can accept that. Maybe it's something I'm not super proud, like maybe a drawing, I don't like it, but in the end it doesn't mm. matter. <laughs> you know? That's how I feel. So I would actually, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, this kind of shift that you've made um, a, a little bit recently. I mean, up until this point, working freelance, working at Sony, working at Elastic, ultimately all of those times, the projects you were working on were serving someone else's vision. But now, I mean, we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but um, you are working on your own, you know, IP and and your own content and, and you're writing for that. Could you talk a little bit about that that transition and some of the new challenges um, that you're facing starting to work on on your own ideas? There's a million things <laughs> that really scare me. <laughs> and I don't mind saying that out loud. It's terrifying. <laughs> But it's very exciting too. I keep talking about it as if it's a roller coaster. You know that drop is going to be scary, but it's also going to be very satisfying. And even when it ends, you're going to be kind of tingling from it. Everything feels positive, like you're excited for it. But also you're like, what have I done? Like for a second, I'd say the biggest challenge is fear. I'm really just trying to work on that. Uh, when I first tried to write, I would find ways to procrastinate and I would go make other art or find something else that I've been procrastinating on and then jump back on that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like every single person I know. Um, however, I, I just try to use other tools and try to find examples of how I can conquer other fears. I find this to be also super therapeutic. So I couldn't write, and I decided that I should try something even harder. And for me, that was skateboarding. Oh, wow. I did not see that coming. <laughs> right? Uh, I'm a very strange person. <laughs> so I always wanted to, I thought it was cool, right? Skateboarders are awesome. And I always wanted to do it, but never, I always believed that if I step on a skateboard, I would just fall and die. <laughs> <laughs> like I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a strong sports person or anything. But then I was like, you know what? Little kids can do it. Bees do it. Birds do it. Like you can do it. Just, just, just <laughs> yeah. you know, just, yeah, you know. And a friend of mine was basically going, going on a long trip and they were doing a garage sale. And I was like, how much for the skateboard? And they said, don't worry about it. If you're going to use it, just take it. And, uh, you know, it's our gift to you. So that put even pr more pressure on me. It's like, I better use it. Now. <laughs> and um, yeah. here I am trying to write and there's a skateboard staring at me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try this. So I did this other thing, which I had never done before. And I thought I was going to die if I try it. And two hours later, I was skating. And then uh, I was in like a Dodger Stadium uh, parking lot skating uh, in the middle of Asian Park. And people were like, who is this person who can't skate, basically? And it, it's this really incredible feeling. It's just letting go of fear in general makes you feel like you're flying. And maybe being on a skateboard helps with that. So it's been a lot of that. I think, I think it's a little bit easier when you realize that you're not trying to be the one right answer to all the questions that there are. You're just trying to make sense of the world. Uh, you obviously do think about what it means to say something. But I've had that practice of drawing things and designing things every day and, and making series. So there was an affinity for it all the things that I want to express. And uh, it felt sort of natural to move into a place where I find new tools to express 
uh, what I want to put out in the world. And I don't expect anything to be perfect. I don't expect anything to be, I, I'm a pebble. I'm okay with being a pebble and uh, just extremely grateful that people are here and they know things I don't know. And uh, I know what I want from projects and I've always been that kind of person, I think. But getting there and finding, uh, finding meaning in it, I'm just realizing I don't have to have all the answers. I can go to people and ask questions. That's been a little bit different. Uh, designing, I don't need to call and ask people questions. Or illustrating, I don't have to ask people questions. I just need to get started and it will happen. And uh, that's a bit challenging, for sure. For someone, even like myself, um, you know, we do do a ton of client work. But more and more over the you know the course of my career, long term, I'd love to be, um, you know, telling stories, developing our own um, IP and our own stories and content. But as I've I've learned, it it, it can be a bit of a, a tricky transition to make for lots of very practical reasons, but then also a lot of creative reasons as well. I don't know. Do you have any advice uh, for people looking to kind of make that transition over time? I don't even know if I'm the right person to answer that question. <laughs> uh, um, I feel like it would be a little presumptuous, perhaps pretentious for me to sure. tell people how to do it when okay. I haven't succeeded in doing so. I mean, I'm very happy to be working on it right now. And totally. everything is fantastic. And I have very opposite, like, uh, optimistic uh, situation at hand, but sure. So maybe, maybe like not necessarily advice, but just like, cause like one of the things that's difficult is obviously like finding time and finding time to develop those things and also staying focused. Um, and there's also, I think a financial aspect of it too, just to, you know, cause making your own work costs, I mean, a lot of money usually too. So, um, I don't know. Are there any ways that you've been able to overcome those challenges so far? That's where the really terrible term of like work-life balance kind of comes in. <laughs> No two people have ever meant the same thing by that term, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very aware of the fact that I'm super lucky, uh, that I like the life that I have, which doesn't have a lot of overages. It doesn't have, there aren't a lot of people depending on me financially. And I know this isn't true for everybody out there. However, the thing with, for instance, doing daily illustrations is uh, I don't think creating an output that's meaningful to you has to require a lot of money investment. It surely involves time investment. But, you know, I always try to remind illustration students that sometimes, depending on what you're trying to communicate, the best way to communicate may not be the slickest way to communicate it. Um, and then I think us motion people have a particularly hard time letting go of this sometimes because there is a little bit of emphasis on yeah like how how well is it rendered how high is the production value and uh you know again our self-worth is kind of tied into this what you put on your demo reel and even the worry that if you're an animator and you animate something that looks crude oh yeah will people start thinking that that's what you do now and they won't hire you for the nike like the 3d nike commercial that's like really expensive and beautiful I think the nice thing is, I, I definitely confuse people. So again, I don't know how this is seen, but I have a lot of output uh, online and it doesn't even really look like what I do for clients a lot of times. Um, like I, I'll do a fashion illustration. Like I, it's not like I uh, illustrate for Kenzo. Although Kenzo, if you're listening, call me. But I think I just usually end up asking myself, what can I do that would be fun and I can do it by myself and it's not a burden. And, you know, finding time for that. What do I not need? You know, what do I, what really makes me happy? <laughs> Students come to me with portfolios and I'm like, what makes you happy? And then they look at me like, you know, I just, they saw a ghost. <laughs> it's like the last <laughs> thing they expect. Like, I'm like, what do you, what, what, what makes you love art? Like, what do you truly love? What do you like lose track of time doing? And sometimes I'll get an answer like, oh, when I play music. <laughs> and that's great. You, know, uh -oh. you, can, you, can have, yep. you can have different interests. But, you know, that answer should still help you. Then don't cut your time for music. But is watching reruns of uh, Parks and Rec for the 15th time on Netflix really making you happy? Or is it kind of just um, helping you spend time to procrastinate? Like maybe you still get something out of watching it for the 15th time. But I try to just see 
time is the only thing, the only resource that can't be replaced. So spending time with your family is like that. Spending time on your own projects are like that. Maybe sometimes I even try to think of it similar to a financial thing. Where do you invest your money, right? Like how do you save money? How do you invest your money? Your time is just as much a resource and just as much of value, if not more so than money, right? Time spent with your kids, hopefully, is very satisfying. <laughs> yes. And yes, so yeah. you do that. But yeah, like, for instance, I also growing up, perhaps a little bit more, uh, you know, spending 10 years working, I have a lot less interest in spending money or time in trying out every restaurant that's out there. I've never exactly been that foodie person, uh, but, you know, I, I've, I have great food. I know how to make good food now. <laughs> so I, there's a satisfaction I get out of feeding myself, and that's why I will cook, feeding myself well, like taking care of my own body and maybe my friends if yeah. they're over for dinner. So it actually opens up a lot of space, both for thinking about things, for making things, and uh, coming back to what I was saying, I, I tell illustrators, something doesn't have to be fancy to be really, really, really good. You look at Rupi Kaur's uh, poems or illustrations, and they're very simple, but they are very strong. You look at Hyperbole and a Half, which was this, I don't know if you, do you know Hyperbole and a Half? Uh, no, I do not, no. It's a blog, it's a comic blog, and it's drawn crudely in, say, like a must paint, but are, they're really great stories told and it's just blog posts with these ridiculous drawings. And then actually she went, she, she disappeared and then she came back and wrote this two or three piece one about depression. She said, I was really depressed and I was going through this and it is so powerful and it's power almost kind of comes from how readable it is because it's crudely drawn. If that makes sense. She, yeah. If she made, you know, a Marvel movie looking version of her depression, I mean, you can make that funny too, but like it was her blend of feeling empty and feeling depressed and her general sense of humor and kind of how it all comes across. Like, it's just something that only she can be. And there's something very special about that. Uh, so reducing things down to basics sometimes is like the best way. Not Don't save the world. Just do like, you know, what are you feeling? Like, what are you going through? Talk about that, you know? So uh, we, we try to end each episode with the same few questions. Um, so the first is, who is your dream client? I have no idea. I know it's, it's a cop-out. Um, honestly, more collaborators than clients, perhaps. I've found, again, far more worth in personal work than anything else. And I'm kind of working with a lot of my dream people right now, including Jonathan, so... Can I just say Jonathan yeah. is my favorite? Like That's great. Okay, perfect. Yeah. All right, next question. Favorite animated film? Man, you're asking tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> this is rough. I know. I was like, this is about this one's gonna be harder than the last one. Yeah, that, no, that is so hard. Um favorite animated film. I'm like, pass. Uh no, no, don't don't overthink it. Just go with your gut. Go with your gut. Uh I do repeatedly come back to Evangelion, but not the film the TV series. I'm obsessed with that thing and I'm okay with being mocked for it. <laughs> my thir like my 12 year old anime lover self shows up here. <laughs> A wild anime lover tuna appears. Go on. <laughs> All right. Next question. What do people you love think that you do for a living? I'm pretty lucky that they understand that some form of animation <laughs> yeah. but my parents didn't understand this though right so they'd be like i think she's an animator <laughs> and i'm like i don't have that skill <laughs> i wish i did or they'll say i think she is a director which i guess now is true but it now wasn't true. before <laughs> yeah, nice. i should just say i became a director so then they understand yeah. What I <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty funny uh that Pearl was getting a lot of recognition and um, my parents really love to brag <laughs> and they, um, they get to, cause you know, they gave me a lot, at least I can yeah. give back. And, uh, but they try to explain it to their friends and so now their friends are kind of tagging me on stuff. And they're like, Tuna made this film. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't. Yeah, no, <laughs> like, no, no, I, no. I was a collaborator. So it's always a, Funky conversation. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, Tuna, thank you so much for giving us your time and coming on the show. My pleasure. Uh, you guys are so excellent, and you have so many wonderful people on the podcast, including fellow 
uh, bland speakers from last year. So uh, thanks for letting me be obnoxious on your show for a minute. <laughs> Animalators is created by the team at IV, recorded in the Weld Nashville studio, and produced by Chad Michael Snavely. To keep up with the work we're doing at IV, visit iv.studio or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. You can also follow Animalators on Twitter at Animalators to keep up with all of the new episodes. And be sure to check out animalators.com to see every animation from all of our guests. To find out more about Tuna and her work, head to tunabora.com or follow her on Instagram at tunamunaluna. Uh, please go do that because her Instagram feed is a breath of fresh air. I love it. Well, that's it for today's episode. Be sure and join us next time for another episode of Animalators. Curious conversations from the world of animation. Animation.